God is a creator. God is a sustainer. And God is a restorer. Our Lord is a redeemer. And we've seen that throughout the book of Ruth. The story of Ruth and Naomi teaches us about God's hesed, his steadfast love, his covenant loyalty. And we've read so far in this book that during the time of Judges, there was a famine in Bethlehem. And the time of Judges is a time that is marked by everyone doing what they want to do. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. That should sound familiar to you. And what we find is during this famine, rather than enduring with God's people, rather than pressing on with the covenant community, a man named Elimelech takes his family out of the promised land, away from the covenant community, and takes them to a pagan land. He defects to the enemy. He turns his back on the covenant. He turns his back on the covenant people. And as a consequence, he dies. His two sons should have took the family back to Judah, but they chose not to, and they died. And then we find Elimelech's wife, Naomi, destitute with two daughters-in-laws. She urges them, go back to your families, remarry, go back to your gods, go back to your people, that there's no future with me. And one daughter-in-law does, but the other chooses to stay, and her name was Ruth. She clung to Naomi. She told Naomi, where you die, I will die. I'm not just going to stay with you until you die, but your people will be my people. Where they put your bones, they will put my bones. Your God is my God. And then she vows to the one true and living God that this is what she's going to do. So she returns to Bethlehem with Naomi. And we see that she goes out to work. She's going to provide for the two women. And she just happens, as the Bible tells us, to end up in the field of a man named Boaz, a wealthy landowner. And Boaz knows of what Ruth has done to Naomi. And God uses Boaz to bless these two women. Last week we saw that Ruth boldly approached Boaz on the threshing floor and asked him to spread his cloak of protection over her, to spread his wings of protection over her. We see that Ruth was a woman of godly character. Unlike what the revisionists would have us believe that, that Ruth was somehow proper, uh, giving Boaz a proposition for something immoral, we know that Ruth is a woman of godly character and that Boaz is a man of godly character. She's a Proverbs 31 woman. We see that in the Hebrew Bible, Proverbs 31, where they talk about this woman who is praised at the gate, and then in the next book in the Hebrew Bible is Ruth, and that we read of one of these women, a woman that is praised at the gate. Adding to God's blessing, we saw of these two destitute women that Ruth returns to Naomi with 80 pounds of barley, and then she returns to her, her mother-in-law, and the mother-in-law says, don't worry, Boaz will not rest until you are resting in his home as his wife. And that's where we pick up today. If you would turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4. 
we begin reading where we left off in verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling a parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will not redeem it, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. (coughs) And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and to all the people, you are witnesses. This day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and all that belonged to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gates of his native place. You are witnesses this day. This is the word of the Lord. Now, when we left off last week, we saw that Boaz was going to redeem Ruth and Naomi, but that there was a closer redeemer. There was someone closer in the order of precedence, if you will, that he had to go to first and speak with, and that's what he has done in this story. He has gone to the the closer redeemer. So Boaz goes to the gate of the city. Now we talked about the gate is where business transactions happened. It's where buying and selling happened. It's where court decisions were made at the gate, at the Sha'ar. And so he takes 10 men with him as witnesses. These men will witness the transaction and they hold both parties accountable. In other words, Boaz didn't go to the guy at night and sit in his living room and they talked about it. He made sure it was done in broad daylight the next day in the, in the presence of ten witnesses. He wanted everything to be done in the light, on the level, deeds done in the open. And Boaz waits for this closer redeemer to come by. And we read in verse 1, it says, And behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz spoken came by. And it came by, he came by as soon as 
Boaz sat down. One of the commentators says that, again, it's one of those situations where we think of the writer Samuel smiling as he says, well, this guy just happened to come by right when Boaz sat down. We see God's providence directing this man's footsteps. Boaz didn't have to wait by the gate all day long for this redeemer, this unnamed man, to come by because he came by as soon as he sat down. We see that Naomi still holds this piece of land in the promised land. And we might think, all right, I thought she was destitute. Couldn't she just put it on the market? Couldn't she just call up the real estate agent and put it up for sale? But that's not the way it worked. Because the pieces of land had to be held within the families of the tribes of Israel. And so it needed to go to a redeemer, someone in her family. And when this near redeemer hears that he can inherit more lands, he gets excited. He says, yeah, I'll redeem that. I'll take that piece of land and I'll work it and I will get the crops from it. It's a chance to increase his lands, to get more money. But then Boaz adds a twist. When you get the land, you get a new wife. You get Ruth. Now, if he just got the land, he can do with it whatever he pleases. But if he gets the land with a wife, he now is responsible to raise up sons for the man who has died. And those sons would inherit that land. Furthermore, he says, my own inheritance could come into danger. So it could be that if something happens to his sons, this other man's sons, even though they're biologically his, legally they're Elimelech's, they would get the land. Well, he changed his tune pretty quick then. I can't redeem the land. You do it. You take the land. He rejects the deal when he finds out he gets a wife with it. And all the people, all the people sitting there at the gate witness this. Now, there's an irony here. I don't know if you caught it or not. The irony is that this man is concerned with his legacy, and yet he's the only character in the book that's unnamed. Everyone else gets a name, even the guys that died, Killian, Elimelech. They're named in the book, but this guy forever, for all eternity, in our Bibles, is just the near redeemer. And there's a little bit of an application there, isn't there? That if we make an idol out of being known as a good person, that we will seek to serve ourselves. But when we seek to serve God within the covenant community, that's how you're known as a good person. Boaz seek to serve the Lord, sought to serve the Lord. This man sought to serve his own legacy. And the Lord redeemed Ruth and Naomi through his servant Boaz, a worthy man in the community. And then we see that the people pronounce a blessing on Ruth and Naomi. Look with me at verses 11 and 12. So all the people witness this. It's said like four or five times that we all witness this. We all see this. We all will hold you both accountable. And then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. 
because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So after the transaction is sealed, after he receives this sandal, and, and, and Boaz is going to be the one who redeems uh, Ruth and Naomi and the land, we see that the people offer up this blessing, and it's three parts. The first thing they say is, Ruth's womb would be fruitful as Rachel and Leah were for Jacob. Now, if you're familiar with your Genesis account, you know that Rachel and Leah were Jacob's wives, and they're the two founding mothers of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, there's a couple of servants mixed in there as well, but for the sake of Israel's history, they only look to Rachel and Leah. All of the tribes of Israel came from Jacob. Through this family, God built up the foundation of Israel. And the people wished the same fertility on Boaz and Ruth. Second, they say that Boaz would be remembered in Bethlehem. Boaz would have a large and a prosperous family that is well-remembered. Because our day is different than their day, isn't it? Because in our culture, we often see children as extra mouths to feed. As little things that siphon off money for our 401k or our retirement. But in the biblical days, and I would say rightly, Scripture always presents children as a blessing from the Lord. They are arrows in the quiver. I think I've shared the story before when I served at Midwestern Seminary as an academic advisor. Uh, my office was in the same area with a lot of the Korean ministry, Korean um, department. We had a huge Korean population of students at Midwestern. And so we interacted with them regularly, and, and they would make different teas and coffee for us, and we talk about cultural differences. And one of the differences that came up was this very thing. One of the men said, it's, it's, it's interesting to us when we come over here that you as Americans want to have as few children as possible so that you can put more money into your savings and into your retirements to take care of yourselves. Whereas in our culture, we raise up a family of children that are blessings from the Lord, and then when we grow old, those children and grandchildren care for us. And it's a circle through, but it seems like you Americans want to take care of yourselves. And I always remember that story because it's kind of like here. Boaz would be thought of well and prosperous for the large family that God would bless him with. Third, that Boaz's house would be like that of Perez. Remember, Perez was a, of the clan of Boaz. And you remember Tamar, the mother in the story. That family line was almost extinct except for Tamar, and we won't get into that whole story. But Tamar was a foreigner who preserved a family line that was threatened by extinction. And by these three blessings, the crowds are wishing that Boaz and Ruth well, but they're wishing blessings on them from the redeeming and restoring God, the sustaining God. And then we see that the Lord blesses Ruth and Naomi, and then ultimately the world. Look with me at verses 13 and 16. So Boaz took Ruth. And she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. 
For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Of our story, we find Naomi destitute. She's in a pagan land. She's apart from the covenant community. Her husband has died. Her two sons have just died. She is a woman seemingly without anything. At the bottom of the barrel, she considers herself among the dead. And now, we find her back in the promised land, among God's people, with a baby on her lap. She was once separated from God's people, She is now reconciled. At the beginning, she has no hope. She says that God has dealt bitterly with her. And now she is nourished. Now she is restored. She has a grandson. We're going to learn in a few minutes, his name is Obed, which means guardian or provider. As Obed grows, he will provide for his grandmother. Naomi's emptiness has been reversed. She has been restored through God's sovereign grace. This rebel that had turned from the covenant community with her husband has now been restored and renewed and forgiven her sin. But God's plan had more in store than just Ruth and Naomi. Look with me at verse 17. And the woman of the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. You see, through this whole story, this story of Ruth and Naomi, a story that we could so easily take and just make all on a human level about us and God caring for us, which he surely does. We see that he cared for the whole world and he had a plan to redeem and restore the whole world through them. God has not been merely providing for Ruth and Naomi, but in his providential care for the world, he has provided for you and me because through Ruth would come King David. In his sovereignty and his fatherly care, God was preparing the line of the one who would meet our greatest need, King Jesus. Matthew Henry, I could not word it any better than he does when he says, Christ, likewise, purchased a peculiar people whom he would espouse to himself, those strangers and foreigners, like Ruth, poor and despised, that the name of the dead and buried race might not be cut off forever. Our Lord, Jesus Christ, is our Redeemer. He is our Goel. He is our Redeemer, the one who will restore us. Jesus looked on our deplorable state with compassion. The story of Boaz and Ruth point to a greater marriage. We may read their story 
and, and enjoy their story. I think in God's grace that we do get to enjoy their story, but this marriage, how great it may be, points to a greater marriage. A marriage between the ultimate bridegroom and bride. Christ and his church. You see, God created the world and all of mankind in the beginning, and it was good. But sin entered the world through the rebellion of our first parents, Adam and Eve. Their grasping at God's glory is why our world is in the state that it is now. You see, every one of us is born dead in sin. I hate to break it to you. Actually, I don't hate to break it to you because it's the most freeing news you'll ever hear, but none of you are good. Every single one of us is far from good. We are fallen and destitute, just like Naomi. Every single one of you have turned your back on God. But God the Son, our Redeemer, our Boaz, came to earth that we might be redeemed. That we might be restored to a holy and a just God. He came to earth to redeem many Ruths and many Naomi's, many strangers, and many rebels. This eternal God came to earth and became human and walked a perfect and holy life to pay for our debt. He paid for it with his life. He gave himself in the place of his people. He extends still the edges of his robes to rebels. For those who will come and turn to him to come under his protective care, under his wings. The Spirit, has the Spirit opened your eyes this morning to your need of Christ? Has he opened your eyes this morning that you need to come under these robes? That you need to come under these wings? Because you are, in fact, a rebel against a holy and a just God. But there is good news this morning because the Lord still redeems the destitute. The Lord still redeems those who are at the bottom of the barrel. Naomi and Ruth had nowhere to go. And our Lord does not tell us that he saves or redeems those who are good enough. He doesn't say you need to bring a measure of barley to me before I will unlock blessing for you. Christ asks that you bring nothing in hand, but instead he says to you, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Because my burden is light and my yoke is easy. You need only submit to him in genuine repentance and believe. Because he will see through your, I'm sorry, I messed up mistake apologies, but it must be genuine repentance. A turning from your sin and turning to him. Because the Lord still redeems rebels. Naomi had joined her husband in turning his back on the covenant. Naomi had joined her husband in turning his back on the covenant community. God's people. She was guilty as well. And as I said already, I love you, but none of you are good. Every single one of you have spat at a holy God, myself included. Every single one of you has fallen and turned your back on God. You see, in our culture, we are almost brainwashed to think 
all people are basically good. I thought it. I remember being in Afghanistan on patrol and we were providing overwatch of this village and an elderly Afghani man brought out some tea and and flatbread for us, me and my buddy who were providing the overwatch and we sat up there and ate and I said to my buddy, you know, it's no matter where you go, all people are basically good. But friends, the Bible does not say that. God's word does not teach that. Even when my grandfather passed last year, we went to the funeral home and the, the, the Christian man uh, that met us there, he's kind of like the, I don't know what you call him, the butler of the funeral home, and he's trying to say nice things and he says, well, you know, the Bible says that no one's good, but I believe Billy McElroy was. God help. Friends, if anyone at my funeral ever says, well, God says this, but I think God's wrong, please, I don't care about decorum, correct him. Or I may have to come out of the coffin. (laughs) Friends, every single one of us is born dead in sin and have inherited or have earned the penalty of death. You say, how? I'm basically good. You're crazy, preacher. Have you ever lost your temper? Christ says you're guilty of murder. Have you ever looked at another human being in lust? Christ says you're guilty of adultery. You ever taken the Lord's name in vain? You have blasphemed the holy creator of the universe. You ever taken something that wasn't yours? Well, you're a thief. And because you have broken God's law, even if only one time, which I highly doubt, but even if you've only broken his law one time, you have earned the penalty of death. You see, sinning against God is not the same as sinning against me. You can come to the parsonage late this afternoon and punch me in the nose, and likely no one will care. But when we're talking about the holy creator of the universe, his rank isn't even in the universe. It is outside because he created the universe. It is his. And when you offend this God, when you offend a holy God, you incur his just wrath. And because he is a good judge and a just judge, he will judge sin. And you are guilty. There will be no wrangling with God. There will be no yeah buts. He doesn't grade on a curve. There's no the Christian next to me messed up. Uh, There's no I was better than most people in my neighborhood. But he uses his standard. And by his standard, every single one of you deserve hell. Myself included. My friend, you have earned eternal death. But our Lord is forgiving. Because he still redeems fallen rebels. Those whom he has set his love on from the foundation of the world. Ruth's story teaches us this truth. That our God is a redeeming God. You're thinking, oh, okay, fine, I got it. But I've been in church my whole life. You don't know me. My story isn't like yours, Pastor. I didn't run around and do all kinds of crazy stuff and become a Christian at 30. I've been in church my whole life. Man, I have done all the VBS camps. I've done every Orton Ranch. I was a deacon. My daddy was a deacon, and I've been in church, and I'm, I'm pretty much good. Friends, that way of thinking has no doubt damned many. You know, in the 1700s, <clears throat> 70 to 80% of the American population attended church yet most were unregenerate. 
during the Great Awakening, this time of great revival in our country that is, was such a, a, a great outpouring of God's Spirit that up until recently you still read about it in American history in public schools. During this time, most of those saved were church members. In fact, someone asked uh, uh, George Whitfield, the evangelist who preached in America during that time, why do you preach ye must be born again to church members? His reply was simple, because ye must be born again. So to every single one of you I ask, have you been born again? Does the Redeemer know you? Because he took his debt, took our debt, on himself by sending his only son for your sin. God the Father took on the debt of our sin on himself through the blood of his own son, Jesus Christ. And this morning, you must flee from the wrath to come and flee to his protective wings if you are to be born again and saved. Turn to Christ now. Believe and repent. Confess that you are a sinner. Believe the truth and the good news of Jesus Christ. Genuinely turn from your sin, and not just once, but every day. Because the person who has genuinely turned from his sin and has received that new heart, has had his heart of stone that he was born with, replaced with a heart of flesh, does not just repent once. Does not just pray some magical words once. But it is a daily repentance, a daily turning from sin, a desire to grow in holiness, a desire to honor God. And Paul says to examine yourself, do you have this? If not this morning, you must repent and believe the gospel. For there is no other way to save yourself from the wrath to come. Not that you save yourself, but you know what I mean. There is no other way to be saved. Our God is a redeemer, a redeemer of rebels like you. Father, we praise your name this morning for your word, but more than that, we praise you for the blood of Christ, your gracious and merciful nature. Father, I, I pray for the one hearing my voice right now who does not believe you, believe in you, the one who has not been saved, the one who is not reconciled. God, I pray you would graciously draw them to yourself this morning, that you would grant them no rest, no sleep, no happiness, no joy, until they flee to you, till they flee under the wings of your Son. And it's for his sake and his glory alone I ask. Amen.